Betches Media presents Not Another True Crime Podcast. It's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Not Another True Crime Podcast. I'm Sarah Levine. And I'm Danny Murphy. And you know where your partner's in wine, crime, and time. We are joined today by the author of Cultish, the language of fanaticism, Amanda Montel. Hello. Also super impressed by you getting the word fanaticism right on the first time. That's oh my a God, tricky I'm reading one. it next oh. to me with like a death glare to the book. Like, don't fuck this up. <laughs> That's why I did not do the intro because uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's a short book title, but like I pack a lot of syllables in there, you know? Yeah, it hits. It hits. Well, congrats on the book release. How does it feel to have it like out in the open? How? Because I know it's been out for a minute now. How is the reception? What's going on? How are you feeling? It's been amazing. It's been high anxiety. I've had like, (laughs) I've had a Scientologist or two try to come for me. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. That's when you know, though. I was going to say, like, I'm scared of them. (laughs) We did a podcast episode years ago on Scientology and I was like, I'm going to get stalked like it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Especially because living in L.A., like I'm down the street from their church. Excellent. Uh, yeah. No, I I mean, the target audience has been found. Like people have been really enjoying it and posting about it. It's a it's a photogenic cover, so that was that was part of it. Um, <laughs> but people are really liking it and connecting to it and it's gotten some incredible reviews, which I'm so thankful for. Um, but yeah, no, I've had a, I've had a Trump supporter or two try to come for me. But the um actually the Scientology thing is really funny. I mean, I think technically Scientologists would not even be able to be allowed to read my book. Oh, yeah, is this black PR? It's black oh, PR. Yeah. It's black oh, PR. No. So someone broke the rules, but um it was Ooh. so funny. I like don't tweet, but I did just like very casually sort of check Twitter the other day and um I came across a blog post that a Scientologist wrote called Amanda Montel needs to calm down. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I read that That's in the tune of the Taylor Swift song. And, yeah. <laughs> I was like, You're being too loud. <laughs> yeah, I was you like, are being too loud. I was like, like, first of all, love that for me, that the Scientologists (laughs) are upset. But also, like, I would love to calm down. Like, if this Scientologist (laughs) has any tips, I would love to calm down. Yeah. (laughs) What's the special Xanax y'all got that keeps this going? Because I know know, that makes you believe in like a lizard god or whatever it is. I mean, if the Scientologist, if the Church of Scientology wants to like sponsor a trip to Hawaii for me so that I can calm down, I would love that. On like Tom Cruise's PJ, I feel like you could make. I feel like you could, <laughs> you know, the correct people and get that going for you. For sure, like if it's in the Scientologist's interest for me to calm down, I co-sign that. Like, let's collab, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I do have a follow up with that because obviously it's like you are ex- almost expecting the people like that to come at you. But the what I love about your book is that you tackle the cult ish, like the adjacent type things that maybe people don't realize could be cults, like a work class right. or something like that. Have any of your like friends or maybe like just uh, readers kind of like reach out to you to defend themselves or anything like that? Because I know people can get so <laughs> possessive over their love of a soul cycle or something, if you will. Yeah. Or even like great. an MLM. Yeah. It's true. No, I mean, that's the thing about the word cult is that it's really evolved to be able to apply to anything, depending on the context from a Nexium-esque group that has a lot of danger and destruction associated with it, all the way to a beloved 
you know, makeup brand like Glossier. And we Mm -hmm. as a conversationalist are pretty savvy at being able to deduce the stakes and consequences at hand whenever a familiar word like cult is invoked in conversation. So um, this is why I sort of believe in this cultish spectrum. Like the word cult is actually really tricky, if not impossible to define in absolutist terms. It's so subjective. It's so sensational. It's going to be different for everyone. Um, So even scholars who study this stuff. So I tend to think of these groups along a cultish spectrum. And if you can't admit that the group that you're involved with that is so obviously fanatical and engages in these rituals and other cult-like practices, if you can't admit that that is culty or cultish at the very least, then you have some work to do, some reflecting, <laughs> but most people are are so down to to hop aboard and be like, yes, I am in the cult of soul cycle. I am in the cult of this. But I think, yeah, I mean, it will be interesting to see if any MLMers um, take issue. I, I just, it's hard for me to believe that they would pick up the book. <laughs> yeah. I mean, also it's like, it you don't like couch MLMs in there as like a surprise chapter. It's like right in the beginning, you're like, we're going to talk about these guys too. And like the, the, I'm not passing judgment on the recruits or the followers in this book. In fact, one of the most important takeaways that I hope people glean from the book is that the myths that exist in our culture about the type of person who would find themselves in a group as destructive as Scientology or the People's Temple, aka Jonestown, or the Love Has One cult that just made the news. Um, oh yeah, to just, a group yeah. like MLMs, you know the the prevailing wisdom that has circulated in our culture that these people are like desperate and disturbed and naive. It's totally untrue. Like the type of person most likely to get involved with one of these groups is actually someone who's incredibly bright, incredibly like service oriented. And most of all, their fatal flaw is not desperation. It's idealism. It's optimism. It's this idea that like the the solutions to the world's most urgent problems or to their most ur- urgent problems actually do exist. And by getting involved with this group, those can be solved. If you're a cynic or someone who who doesn't have like a shred of hope or idealism in your bones, you're, you're not going to get involved with one of these groups, you know? So it's because I'm cynical because I will say we we did cover the love as one cult and there were just so many aspects of it where we were like this bitch said that she is Jesus and was Marilyn Monroe. Like, how are you guys believing it? Well, I mean, I would wager to guess that she did not lead with that. She probably led with something slightly easier to believe in. Like, this is what the Scientologists do, right? Like, they don't start you off with, like, the stuff about body thetans and ancient aliens that are taking over your soul. They start out with just like, oh, this is like a self-help course on how to communicate better. They start you off with, like, the easiest to believe stuff, and then they work you towards the aliens and the other, you know, wacky or supernatural beliefs. But by that point, you've been in there for 10 years and you've spent $100,000 and sunk cost fallacy kicks in. You're just like, well, I've been in it this long. I have to keep going. So, you know, probably the love has what that's the thing. It's like you hear the like Heaven's Gate lore that all these people thought they were going to like board a UFO by Mm -hmm. leaving their earthly containers or the love has one people believed she was like Jesus and Marilyn Monroe. But you only like we're hearing the wackiest of their beliefs we're not hearing how it was originally pitched (laughs) that is very true and speaking of the supernatural danny and i talk about this a lot i feel like so many cults focus on that aspect and we're like what is this like why doesn't like why is there no diversity in the cult whatever dogma like (laughs) what do you think that's about 
Mm, that's a great question. Well, a lot of these cultish groups um, perpetuate like new age ideology or the idea that like you can heal your your body of physical illness with your mind and they take like sort of sci-fi type rhetoric um, or they derive the beliefs from like the East and the occult. Um, and that's because a lot of these groups really started cropping up during the late 60s and early 70s, which is an era known to some scholars as the fourth great awakening um, when there was a lot of cultural turbulence like now you had the civil rights movement and the Vietnam War and the Kennedy assassinations and that left a lot of particularly like young countercultural like educated people who felt that the powers that be had failed them feeling like really existentially like fucked you know what I mean they were just like I no longer trust these institutions that are supposed to provide me with support the traditional Mm -hmm. Protestant church the government you know now now and largely the healthcare system what where can I turn for answers and a lot of them turn to these like eastern practices which has started making their way to the west um and so you know new age Aesthetic and ideology is quite appropriative, but it's it's been around since the 70s and it's evolved since then with the rise of like digital technology. But it especially appeals to folks who are coming at it from like Christianity, which is I think the the like majority religion that people in the U.S. grow up with. Um, the the rhetoric of like new age cults is actually really similar to like evangelical rhetoric. When you unpack it, it's like in new age groups, they say you're like born in trauma, which in Christianity, you're born in sin. There are a lot of the same like good evil binaries um, in new age stuff. There's or in new age groups, there's ideas of like the, the a paradigm shift or a great awakening, which is similar to a rapture or a second coming. It's just kind of like recycled beliefs that feel really familiar and safe to people, but just with like a boho like appropriative Bali aesthetic. Yeah, like a rebrand. That no, it's like literally how like the same huge companies own every single little brand that you use. So it's like, oh, I'm done with soda, but I'll go to this seltzer, but it's still owned by Coca-Cola. So yeah. it's like the same, it's like the same principle on top, but they're just peddling in people in different ways. Dude, cults are expert rebranders. And this is why the language is so important, which is like what my book is about. Because when the culture changes, a cult or when the when the ideology needs to change for some reason, the cult can just like shift their language a little bit to reflect their new brand and they can and a lot of the times cults will will name themselves something new um in order to kind of like evade people clocking them or figuring them out um it's yeah so the language is a huge part of that rebranding effort question that nobody else is going to care about but me (laughs) so we can cut it from the episode maybe three people might i don't know i don't know i might care i don't know what this question is well i okay so i read your interview with um alma about like you know why jews are not likely to join your cult oh my god i'm so glad you're bringing this up because i want to clarify this okay um so no i i'm actually so glad you brought this up because um their headline was like quite provocative which i yeah. can't blame them like i come from editorial as well you like pick the grabbiest headline you can it was something like jews probably won't join your cult this is not true <laughs> like, 
<laughs> like, yes, you can. First of all, it's not my expertise. I was asked about it because I'm Jewish and I was doing an interview for Hey Alma. But like, it, it's not true that Jews don't, don't join cults. The whole reason why I took an interest in cults or the seed that planted my fascination of this stuff is because my dad grew up in a notorious cult or spent his teenage years in a notorious cult called Synanon, which his father, a Jew, joined. It was like a, almost like a Zionist, like socialist type of cult. So Jews, hundo P join cults. Uh, also, like this depends on your interpretation of what a cult even is, what that even means. Again, it's very subjective. Jews completely join cults. In that interview, I was talking mostly about um, these sort of like new agey, anti-Semitic conspiracy oh, theory sure. type yeah, cults. Like I'm not going to go join QAnon. Right. So that's kind of that's what I was talking about. But then it got it got a little bit decontextualized. No, and, no worries. Well, yeah. I Lost love the, the headline <laughs> because I feel like a, lo- a huge part, and I don't. I want to know if I'm alone in this. Is why I'm asking this question. Like, I feel a huge part of my Jewish education was like, people in cults are going to try to convert you, and here's how to like <laughs> spot it. Like, we literally had like I remember a, a presentation at my temple where they had someone like essentially pretending to be like a cult leader trying to convert us. Huh? <laughs> that is wild. You know, this is what I will say. And and I will sort of defend this point um, or like reiterate it because I do stand by it that in Judaism, at least like the reform Judaism that I grew up with, which is the only Judaism I can like really speak about, um, questioning was encouraged. Like yeah, for pushing sure. back against the belief system or the doctrine or whatever was baked into the religious practice and participation. And there are a lot of religions. And again, like, where is that line between religion, cult, and another kind of community? It's really blurry Mm. if it exists at all. There are amazing religious studies quotes like cult plus time equals religion or like um, in a cult. In a cult, the leader is claiming to like talk to God in a religion. That person is dead. Like there are all these amazing quotes about that. <laughs> but like, um, yeah, in other religious groups, cultish groups, questioning is the enemy. Like you're never supposed to question. And when you do, they'll have this system of language techniques to get you to shut up, basically. And I love you talking about, because like, I, and I know you've uh, referenced this before too, but even in like how you're explaining cultish groups and these groups and things like this, and even I, I felt it so much when you're talking about the people who would join, be inclined to join, uh, how it's like kind of almost like a relationship in a sense, and it could be as minimalized, not in, in terms of impor- importance, but in terms of people as just like a couple and how like a couple could kind of end 100%. up having a cult situation and then with like toxic uh, romantic relationships can kind of take you over because they lead you in. Can you talk about like the comparison of that? Because I feel that also makes everybody realize like, oh shit, I could kind of be in a cult because I have been in a fucking toxic relationship. I'm so glad you brought that up because I talk about that in the book. And this was one of the most humbling realizations that I came to while writing it. You know, we think to ourselves, like, how could anybody end up yeah. in a group where you believe that this woman is Jesus and Marilyn Monroe, um, which, of course, it never starts that way. But, oh, my God, sorry, my cat is yelling. 
<laughs> Do you oh my hear God. her? <laughs> I just gotta hear it. <laughs> I thought that I thought you had like a La La Land situation where your roommate was performing an opera. <laughs> <laughs> that is my roommate performing an opera. It's just she's a feline. Um, but yeah, we and we and we tell ourselves these things almost as a self-protective mechanism. Like those people are crazy. Those people are desperate. Those people are stupid. And I would never end up in a situation like that. But what you're saying is completely right. And it's something that I that again, I realized while writing this book that if you ever want to know how someone could end up like 10 years into Scientology, if you've ever been in a toxic relationship with a romantic partner or even a friend or a boss where you're like five years into a situation where you know you're being mistreated or you feel awful every day and you're still not getting out. That's what it feels like. In the beginning, this person love bombs you. They make you feel really special. Like this job or this relationship is your divine purpose is like is what's going to bring you meaning and ritual and community and company and connection like we can all relate to this on on in a cult scenario you're sort of in a toxic relationship with a bunch of other people but I often say that you know an abusive relationship is just a cult of one and I can certainly relate to that dynamic Um, love that yeah and it's so deep too because I feel what also happens with people that get sucked into cult situations or I love that you brought up jobs too, because it also ends up becoming for years, their identity. Mm-hmm. So then they're also like, so I have to start like the fear of also starting fresh or leaving that and being like, well, who am I then? That's an introspection totally. that like a lot of pop songs can say you can get through, but it's hard in the moment to try to do that. <laughs> oh my God. A hundred percent. Like the reasons why someone might m- might. <laughs> What accent is that? That's some Kira Knightley energy. (laughs) Yeah, the reason why someone might join up with one of these groups are not dissimilar to the reasons why someone might start working for a company like WeWork or something like that. You know, it's because it's like, ooh, everybody seems to be doing something like this. It seems like an adventure. I want my life to have more meaning. And then the reasons why it's hard to get out are similar too. it's like denial, listlessness or inertia, fear of retaliation on the part of the person that you joined up with in the first place. And again, that sheer hope that this situation will improve and go back to how it was in the beginning if you just stick it out a little longer. And that's like this ingrained human reasoning flaw of loss aversion. You know, we hate to accept that we made a mistake and are willing to do a lot of work to convince ourselves that we should keep going. I feel like that's also I want to talk about MLMs, too, because we're going to be talking about that later. Um, And I feel like that is such a common tactic in MLMs. I guess it's all just like a distilled version of the sunk cost fallacy. Oh, my God. Totally. And MLMs were so important to include in the book for me because, you know, they're spoofable and we think of them as like super scammy, but they are so predatory in a way that is like also just profoundly American, like the MLM industry and the and the dignified corporate industry derived from the same like Protestant capitalist workplace history. Um, MLMs take it to an extreme and are much more predatory and they obviously don't 
actually pay you a salary so they don't get to abuse you um no but um but yeah but mlms are are scammy obviously but they're not just your average scams they're much cultier than that because if you think about it they're these life-consuming organizations that are missionary in character you know they like promise that this this organization is not just going to make you money it's going to improve your life overall it's going to give you the american dream it's going to make you a better mom and a better wife it's going to make you a better person it's going to make you please god like there's a reason why so many MLMs have Christian affiliations like they're really promising you this bigger more transcendent life um mm-hmm. the the relationships within an MLM are super codependent and culty because like your success depends on the success of everyone in your downline um and then the leaders of MLMs are these like charismatic figures that people worship on the level of a pastor or a prophet um so it, they're really a, much cultier than it might seem. And I love too that you even talked about because it's like with your book, like the language that they have, they give people these roles that you're like, what the fuck is this role? Like, and there's even like companies that do this. Like, I mean, I know, I feel like everyone has a friend who works at Google and like, we, I love my <laughs> SEO, but how they're like, oh, I'm a Noogler. I'm Googler for life. I'm like, what is... No, what? What? You don't have to have a term to have like a never-ending contract. That's just an oh, employee. I know. It's like the corp, the buzzwords in MLMs are so cringy because they're like pseudo-feminist girl boss, boss oh, babe, yeah. once in a lifetime yeah. opportunity, yeah. like yeah, type language. But the buzzwords that are used in yeah, in like startups and Silicon Valley corporations, they're just as cringy. It's just like we don't think of them that way because we use them. Like, I I mean, I used to work for, sorry, now my dog is freaking out. I, you would think I live on a farm. Um, <laughs> Next, like a giraffe is behind you. You're like, oh, Henry. <laughs> I just have very needy animals. I have a codependent relationship with my animals. So I'm like, if my cat or dog started a cult, I would join. Um <laughs> But yeah, so like, you know, corporate buzzwords, which are quite new agey, if you think about it, you know, like our company is missional and are we like, are we on the same alignment and we have like synergy and actualized holistic paradigms, blah, blah, blah. Like (laughs) these, these buzzwords don't actually mean anything that can't be said in plain English. Sometimes they don't mean anything at all, but they do serve to create this sort of conformist atmosphere to create this sort of mirror reflecting the CEO or higher ups madness back at them. They're there to create this sort of us them dichotomy of insiders who know how to use this language and outsiders who don't. So it can be quite cultish in the same way that MLM language can be. Like, oh, where to go from there? So (laughs) So many possible places. I feel like I feel like this is what's going to happen to everyone who reads your book too. You're just start to pick apart because when I was reading it, I was just picking apart every aspect of my life, thinking like, wait, is that because then I'm like, like also like how people call it like we're a community instead of like human resource department or like then I was also like <laughs> is, is unlimited vacation days almost like an aspect of a cult because then it's like you're just like worried in this conspiracy of like oh my god they're my family for life they want me to have all these vacation days but I can't use them and it's like exactly. just different ways that people wrap you into things right. and it's the way people would brag about having that at the beginning of a job and then they're like I haven't taken a day off because I, I don't want to let down my team from what totally <laughs> yeah. I mean my whole angle with the book is that you don't have to live on a remote commune with a shaved head, like bowing down to a wild eyed preacher. (laughs) 
to be under cultish influence, right? Like we all are to some degree and being able to sort of pick up on these language techniques, the loaded language and the buzzwords and the slogans and the thought terminating cliches, which is one of my favorite things to talk about that I can address later. Being able to pick up on these cultish language techniques that are being used to shut down independent thinking and questioning and create that us-them dichotomy, all the things that a cult really needs to do in order to gain and maintain power can help you sort of protect your power and protect your individualism. And it doesn't mean that you need to completely disengage from all cultish atmospheres from like science or well, yes, no, get the fuck out of Scientology. But like <laughs> from 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 like Soul Cycle to, you know, your divine goddess moon circle to the startup that you work for. But it's just important to have that like skeptical twinkle in the back of your brain telling you that like this does not have to take over your whole life. Like your identity and your thoughts are more than just this one group. And I don't know, some some advice, I guess, that I give myself and then try to share with others is like it's important to. Uh, pardon the like weird finance metaphor, diversify your social and spiritual portfolio rather than investing <laughs> in one group alone, you know? Ooh. Love that. I'm glad you brought up like the sort of thought terminating cliches because I wanted to talk about that a bit. Um, I feel like you've said, I think in the book and also just in other interviews that it's not really productive to like go around calling things cults to get someone out of a cult. But what what do you think is productive? Because like even when I've spoken to like, let's say someone in a multi-level marketing company, um, if you just say, oh, that's a pyramid scheme, that's almost like a thought terminating, not really cliche, but like on the other side where that's just going to make them shut down immediately and be like, mm -hmm. oh, well, pyramid schemes are illegal and this is legal. Totally. So, right. So, oh my gosh, I love this question. I'll I'll explain what a thought terminating cliche is first. So this was a term that was coined in the early 60s by the psychologist named Robert J. Lifton, and it describes a type of stock expression that's easily memorized, easily repeated, and aimed at shutting down independent thinking or questioning, which again is like the enemy of any cult. So <laughs> in Nexium, if people are familiar with the, you know, Keith Raniere and that whole thing, um, in Nexium, thought terminating cliche would come in the form of phrases like, well, don't let yourself be ruled by fear or dismissing legitimate doubts or concerns as limiting beliefs. Mm -hmm. um, and the second that one of these phrases was invoked, um, the person like couldn't really carry the conversation forward. It would be a cue to just accept, okay, this must be a limiting belief. That's something I need to work on. And these phrases are really compelling because they help. Well, first of all, it's work to think and it's a relief not to have to. And they also <laughs> alleviate... True. Right. And they also alleviate cognitive dissonance or like that uncomfortable discord you feel when you hold two conflicting ideas in your mind at the same time. So in everyday life, which, by the way, thought terminating cliches appear in our everyday lives in the form of phrases like, oh, well, boys will be boys or um, it's all in God's plan or things like, well, this is just the way it's done. Those are thought terminating cliches that we might all be familiar with. Rake is um, pushing around God's plan. Yeah. <laughs> 
Exactly. Like everything happens for a reason. You know, again, it's like work to think why this is happening. And just to say everything happens for a reason puts that argument to bed. Um, So, right. So when you're talking to someone who you think might be a part of a cultish group that's dangerous for them, a really good way to halt that conversation and prevent it from going nowhere is to say that they're in a cult or to say that they're brainwashed. These words are like really triggering to people because they again they are so sensational and they feel so judgmental um nobody is going to respond well to the phrase you're in a cult yeah no (laughs) um so i don't know i mean it's tricky again like to bring up the toxic relationship analogy it's like what do you do when you have a friend who you know is dating someone who's abusive toward them you can't really tell them like get out of that relationship that person doesn't love you, like that person is abusing you, they're going to get really defensive. So I think the best bet, and this is like so hard to do when it's someone that you care about, is just to like keep them in your life. And a really good way to push them away is again to tell them that they're brainwashed and that they're in a cult. Mm-hmm. Um, is to just keep them in your life and sort of like make sure that you continue to have that outside influence on them and just hope that one day like they'll realize on their own that this is not for them and they'll get out of it on their own. And like, that's what that's what ends up happening to most people who strike up with these groups. Like, we all think of cults in the context of like Heaven's Gate and Jonestown, these like incredible tragedies that end in death. But that's actually like pretty rare. Like those events almost never happen. What normally happens is like, you stick around for a while, if you stick around at all, like normally people will attend a couple introductory meetings and then decide it's not for them. But for the people who do stick around for years and years, eventually they de- they figure out on their own that this is not for them. And you can like hasten along that process by keeping them around and making them feel accepted and sort of talking to them and listening to them and getting on their level again, like so much easier said than done. But you know, eventually people do figure it out on their own. You hope that they figure it out sooner rather than later so they don't get their skin branded and shit. But like, you know, you just got to keep them around like you would keep around a friend who's in an abusive relationship. That's so true. That's yeah, because I was gonna say that is just like realness that like you need to cross the board for taking care of anybody. And this also, it's just a complete side note. I was wondering when you were talking about things that where people say phrases like, well, whatever will be, will be and stuff like that. What are your thoughts on like astrology? And how that is like a movement. Because like when you were saying like people use things to justify thoughts where people could be like, oh, I'm a Leo, you know, stuff like that and things like that. And then also each, like astrology as a whole has so many people like interested and invested in it. I mean, I get obsessed with it too. But then like you have your individual like signs and stuff like that. So I'm just curious about like your thoughts on all that. Totally. So again, like we think of cults along a spectrum and astrology is definitely on that spectrum. But I feel like everybody's boundaries with astrology are going to be a little bit different. Mm. Like I myself know that I can just like shoot the shit about my like, what is it? My my sun, my moon and my rising and like not actually make real life decisions about Mm -hmm. what I think and who I am based on that. But if you are and I really appreciate like the role that astrology plays in the queer community and it feels like a safe space for a lot of folks who don't feel accepted by the religious community that they grew up in. I really do appreciate that. I think when it starts to get sketchy is when 
astrology is filling a role in your life that it actually cannot reasonably fill when like you are making decisions about everything from your politics to your social justice causes to like explaining away your bad behavior based on astrology um Mm -hmm. i think that can be yeah a little shady um i mean i i personally don't think that any belief system should inform your life that much i i often say you know like the word sacred literally means set aside and so your sacred practice should be something that you reserve for a certain special place in time and then when it's time to return back to the shared reality that you share with everybody else on earth you need to be able to like tap out of that and so when people use astrology um in a more extreme way I think that can be dangerous but yeah the role of astrology in people's lives is going to be different for everyone and it's important not to make like blatant state or like blanket statements about it I feel like that's true of a lot of these things in this book you know (laughs) for sure (laughs) for sure like with soul cycle for example I mean there were there was a series of really damning exposés that came out last year about some of the abuses that were going on. I was going to ask because you talked about the culty language, but then there was also like all these articles that were like, well, even these instructors were sort of their own mini cult leaders within the cultish atmosphere. Exactly. So Soul Cycle and cult fitness brands in general are interesting because you have the cult of the brand at large, but really what the brand is trying to do is create these little mini cults um, surrounding each individual instructor who are plucked not from fitness trainers, but from like performers, influencers, people who have the charisma to be able to command an audience. And they go through a really intense training process where they learn how to cultivate their own form of cultish language that they're audience will connect with where they learn how to generate their own mantras and buzzwords and things that's such an important part of the experience like you need that type of language in order to create that sense of transcendence in the studio and it's that sense of transcendence and community and connection that's good for business and keeps people coming back um and again it's like if you with your boundaries um can handle that and you can like clip in if you will and then clip (laughs) out and go back to your life and stop speaking in soul cyclese and you know you're not like in that headspace good for you and by all means like go for it but if you find yourself you know developing a codependent relationship with your instructor and taking that soul cycle mentality with you throughout the rest of your life really believing that Soul cycle will improve your life overall, just as your instructor told you it would on the bike during that Hills monologue when they're telling you, like, <laughs> you're amazing, you're a boss, you can kick cancer's ass or whatever it is. It's like Soul cycle can't cure your cancer. Like, Soul cycle can't help your marriage really in the way that it's promising you it will. You have to put yourself in this metaphorical sacred space while you're there for 45 minutes and then you need to clip out. Um, and yeah, and like, I think, you know, because these individual instructors do create such this cult-like following, even if they didn't intentionally mean to, some of them were taking advantage because it feels fucking good to have people worship you. <laughs> and then it's also the and then it's also the hard thing too, where I feel like from like especially in like fitness and health type of cult situations where people are like, oh, now you're looking like you know, then like you start to get like the people who are subscribing to it are starting to get like validation in an external forum where it's like feeds into maybe a self-esteem issue and then just skyrockets even more and then you're just like you can't get out of it because you're like well this is the person who i owe 
being able to fit into my skinny jeans into, which is like an awful thing too. Totally. And it's just like a cycle. I mean, I've said like, as Americans, our ultimate religion is self-improvement. And what cult fitness does is it takes some of these like more woo-woo spiritual practices and it charges them with like a secular capitalist vibe. So it's like you get to do all of the rituals and the chants and these sort of like religious practices, but under the guise of like something that's going to give you flat abs and something that's going to give you like a nice ass and something that's going to make you feel productive and like a, you know, high functioning member of society. And we as Americans really value those things, that productivity and the self-improvement and the hotness. Um, So that's why SoulCycle has kind of come to fill a religious role in a lot of people lives because it's like my church that I grew up with is not doing it for me okay maybe I don't want to like go to Bali and pray in that way but soul cycle you know it provides that sort of like secular chaser to make the woo-woo go down smooth (laughs) (laughs) and do you feel that a part of it could also maybe be because of it's like you sort of get it gets to kind of also have like the cultish of like a class level too that it's like mm. an elitism of the two where you're like oh I have my soul cycle bag and you're like, yes so this shows that I can afford soul cycle and all this stuff like especially in like cities and stuff like that where like oh yeah everything is based on what street you live in the wealth you have and everything like that a hundred percent yeah it's like that's what every cultish group needs to do like you need to Im- imbue your followers with the sense of elitism and that's completely what these like bougie like boutique fitness studios do and i think what's interesting about soul cycle is that it like started out in those big cities like new york and la and it was very exclusive that was the whole idea like what is soul cycle all the studios were on like in on like a high floor you're like what's up there <laughs> and then and then soul cycle like scaled really fast right like all of a sudden there was like a soul cycle studio everywhere and it was simultaneously trying to be exclusive but also like starbucks like mass popular mm. and really mm-hmm. inclusive and you can't be both of those things at the same time and i think that was part of soul cycle's downfall a little bit Ooh. I see I that. Like that. <laughs> so many thoughts. Oh, I, 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 I'm love. I'm living for every single thought. <laughs> Thank you. I do want to get your opinion on. Um, since we did talk about Nexium, Allison Mack was just sentenced. Um, mm-hmm. What What were your thoughts? Oh, yeah, I have a few thoughts. I mean, it's interesting. Someone asked me recently, like, how much should we empathize with Allison Mack? Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, again, to take it back to that t- toxic relationship analogy, we can empathize with Allison Mack to the extent that she was under the extreme psychological pressure of someone who made her feel like she had to be loyal to him. And if she wasn't loyal to him, it was going to destroy her life. You know, someone who really exploited her and had her do his bidding. And this is a dynamic we see time and time again with groups like this. You have this like middle-aged white guy at the top and then you have like a gaggle of beautiful, like skinny white girls around him doing his bidding. Um, So we can empathize with like the psychological pressures that she was under. However, there were plenty of people who were in her position or could have been in her position who did not do the like dangerous criminal things that she did as a part of that sex trafficking effort. And so for those reasons, we can regard her as 
a criminal and you know she received what was it like 36 months in jail and I you know that seems right to me like not everybody in her position would have done what she did and this is and this speaks to the brainwashing myth too it's like you can't actually convince someone to believe something that they don't on some level want to believe like you can't just like open up their brain and scrub it clean in a literal way you can only give someone license to believe what they already want to believe and then kind of coerce them into doing a more extreme version of that but she she could have stopped you know like technically physically she could have stopped at any time Mm -hmm. so for that reason like she did have her own agency and she should take responsibility for what she did yeah i mean her lawyers advocating for no prison time was like insane to me Uh, i was like what are you talking about like these some women are branded with your initials like relax totally totally it's like okay you know she yes like Keith Raniere abused her, but then, I mean, this is a dynamic that we don't just see in cults. We like see it everywhere. You have like a power, like a super power abusive white dude. And then you have Mm -hmm. these women who acquiesce to exchanging their sexuality and their privilege and their whiteness for more power. Like she was power hungry too. So, yeah, I feel like we also had, we've seen that play out in like, Danny, do you remember that really famous Canadian murder? Where oh, it was like yeah. the Ken and Barbie killers, where yes, this guy, um, she, this this woman Carla was dating this guy, and he convinced her to basically like assault and then kill her own sister, and he's in prison for like life, and she got maybe twelve years, and she's out already. It's crazy. Mm, Which, yeah, very Carla interesting. Yeah, insane. Super. And it also, I mean, even when you were saying all that, I'm like, woof, the amount of times I'm just like looking now at every relationship as a cult where it's like, and only brainwash. You can only have someone believe in what they actually want to believe. I do want to ask you one. I mean, I want to ask you 25 more questions, but just one more question. Because I realized we're like, oh my God, just come on for 20 minutes. It's been an hour. Because we're going to be talking about Mary Kay in an episode soon because we got inspired from your book. Fun. What are your thoughts on Mary Kay? Feelings? I mean, they're obviously in the book, but just like, we just want to hit you with uh, some of your, like, how do you think that stacks up with like the MLM landscape? Why could it be? Why was it so well-believed? And I feel like it's still everywhere too. Right. I mean, Mary Kay is like an OG MLM. It's been around for a while. And I think what's just so destructive about an MLM like that is that it's really coming across as this like feminist empowerment movement when really it's this extremely predatory what should be criminal practice that's like cheating women out of their money like what is it 99% of MLM recruits never make a dime but actually Mm -hmm. lose money Mm -hmm. Um, and I think what's especially shady about Mary Kay is that it's one of those Christian affiliated brands. So I, I remember like there was one interview where someone asked Mary Kay, I forget her last name. Mary Kay is like her first Ash. name. Or something. Oh yeah, Mary Kay Ash, right, right. Oh, I thought someone you said Mary Kay Ashley. I was like, never. Isn't that funny? Like uh, Mary Kay Ash sounds like Mary Kay Ash. Okay, does. Now that's LOL. a cult I'd be in the row. Oh God. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Like if sign could, me up. If I could fit in their shirts, I'd be in that cult in a heartbeat. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Um, I, yeah, I would follow like a tiny, well-dressed woman in off a bridge. But um, anyways, yeah. Uh, Mary Kay Ash was once asked in an interview, like, do you think you're using Jesus as a marketing tactic or like exploiting Jesus as a marketing tactic. And she goes, no, I think he's using me. So that's, that's what 
cult leaders say. Oh she was basically Ooh. claiming prophet status. Like Jesus is using her as a vehicle to make things happen on earth. And right. that's what um, Jesus advocated for. Barely yeah. legal pyramid schemes. Dude, I mean, like the biggest pyramid scheme in the entire world or MLM. Sorry, I don't want y'all to get sued. But the the biggest MLM in the world is Amway, right? Which stands for American Way, because I guess it's the American way to get involved with this like predatory practice. I don't know. Um, But that that whole first of all, Amway was started by these two co-founders, one of whom is a billionaire from the DeVos family. Oh, yeah. A.K.A. Betsy DeVos. Okay. Y'all have listened to The Dream season one. You know. Um, So that whole business was founded on like helping Americans return to like traditional family Christian values. And it's like what? By robbing them of all their money and like making them feel terrible about themselves because they've failed in this business that was designed to fail them but that you told them was a guaranteed success it's just like so deceptive and adding that like religious aspect to it i think is just exploitative in a really fucked up way yeah <laughs> the end yeah <laughs> mike yeah everyone sucks the end <laughs> no i don't think everyone oh, sucks like oh i do that's just thing. my opinion <laughs> well, no, no no i mean i hate it here like the world is trash and all of that but i actually think like it is profoundly human to want to engage in like group bonding rituals that maybe are like irrational and spiritual. And I think that can actually be a beautiful, beautiful thing. And we were talking about cynicism earlier. It's like, yes, cynicism will probably protect you from joining a cult, but like you might die alone. I don't know. Like, I think (laughs) it's kind of like, I just dragged you, Sarah. Yeah, no, like no, I, I'm, I'm trying. No, dude, I'm like trying not to die alone as well. I'm like, what cult can I like a little bit join? Because I think having a bunch of like slightly culty affiliations can actually be like really fun and magical yeah. and can like help the world feel less like trash. It's just, you know, being aware of what cultish manipulation looks like so that if you happen to cross paths with it, you can be like, oh, okay, I'm going to set a boundary here. I mean, well, Danny and I always talk about how we're we're going to start a cult. And so when we do, you're invited. Yeah, the cult Thank should be you. like the Golden Girls cult. And it's just like four friends in a house in Florida. And you just hang out and eat pie. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I can't wait to start my cult. I literally have a five-year plan where it's like I want to buy a plot of land in Idlewild. I don't know if you've ever go. been. I want to buy a plot of land in Idlewild. I want to build a tiny house. And I want to host witchy writers retreats. And it's like for Ooh. a weekend, everybody will eat vegan cookies and wear puffy sleeves and like write poems. And that's the cult I want to start. It sounds like a successful version of Carol. Len Calloway's events. <laughs> oh my God. But I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was such a treat. So oh my fun. gosh. Thank you so much. Uh, the pleasure was mine. Could literally talk to you for hours, but what I could do more for hours is reread your book. And oh. everyone should be reading your book right now. Thank Cultish. You. I'm not going to try to say. Th- um, I, fanaticism. I can't <laughs> the say language the word. of I, fanaticism. I can't say the word. I'm from Jersey. Yes. I can't say any words. I'm in the cult. That's of okay. Jersey. Oh, I love. I love a good Jersey accent. And if people want some of this sort of like culty, zeitgeisty content in podcast form, I launched a podcast last Yay. month. Um, it's called Sounds Like a Cult about the modern day cults we all follow from SoulCycle to Peloton to fraternities and sororities to MLMs, all that good stuff. And basically every week, my co-host and I will pick a different cult from the culture, talk about it, guess games, etc. in order to figure out if it's a live your life, a watch your back or a get the fuck out level cult. <laughs> 
Wait, Love I'm that. I'm okay. I'm streaming because also you have Subscribe. the best talking voice. And yeah, I'm talk. I'm gonna be downloading that right now. Wait, that sounds it's so fun. fun. Thank you. Well, actually, I was so honored when y'all reached out because I was just thinking like I really desperately want to pitch myself to not another true crime broadcast. Oh, no so. I manifested like, it, Mary Kay. Manifest. Yeah, manifest. Yeah, Everything does happen yeah. for a reason. It does. It does. But thank you so much for coming on. I'm so excited for all. I mean, this seems like a, a blow up year for you. So I can't wait to see what happens next. Too. Oh, thank you. Where can people follow you on Instagram? All that good stuff if they want to see more. Yeah. If people want to see more, you can follow me on Instagram at Amanda underscore Montel for culty memes and other fun stuff. Um, the book is available now wherever you buy books. The, there's also an audio book, which is super fun um, and an ebook. And yeah, and the podcast is Sounds Like a Cult wherever you stream your pods. Love it. I cannot wait to listen. Thank you. <laughs> Not Another True Crime Podcast is produced by Jorge Morales-Pico and Sean Kilby. Our hosts are Sarah Levine and Danny Murphy. Editing by Jorge Morales-Pico. Social media by Sarah Levine. Be sure to follow at NATC Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send us your emails to natc at betches.com. Betches.